Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mommy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Well, welcome Savage Cast listeners to episode 31. Joining us today on the control side is Dustin Hatchett. Hey, Dustin. How's it going, Dustin? Hello. Chris Fox. Hello. And I'm your lesser host, Christopher Landauer. And oh, our- you're not lesser. You're just not as much. Well, I just gained weight recently, so I want to feel a little smaller. Okay, it's a, it's gotcha. a compensating mechanism. And uh, joining us are the amazing, excellent crew of Saving Throw, producers Dom Zook. Hello. GM Jordan Caves Kellerman. Hey, how's it going? Megan Caves. Hello. And the infamous Jordan Pridgen. Hello, everyone. Nice. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us on Savage Cast. We had the opportunity of meeting all but one of you recently at a local Genghis Khan, and uh, you guys smell even better in person. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Thank you yeah, very well, much. I switched soaps, so it worked out. You're lucky I wasn't there then, because I, I just reek. That is, like, part of my whole thing. It's true. I have to sit by him. It's awful. Out of mm-hmm. curiosity, how do we smell through the internet? A, a little ozone-y, ah. something like a, uh, a computer speaker foam, you know? Mm. I would okay. expect that. Okay. Getting a little tinny yeah. kind of thing going on. Not, not quite old spice, more like new spice. Oh, yeah, I get that. Scary spice? I'll take it. <laughs> so the... Uh, Excellent, guys. Thank you for joining us. And the uh, you guys are like like big deals. You're like the the <laughs> premier Savage Worlds live cast uh, in the world, right? Which is pretty cool. Are uh, we? How is, I, is that? Is, is there I a mean, way to track that? Because I will. I will accept that mantle if no one else claims it. Yeah, yeah. We, we'll we will accept it. <laughs> right. That's kind of how we do stuff. Like you know, you just claim it. Like you know, no one bestowed me my savage sobriquet. I just bestowed it upon myself. So mm. we are now bestowing you guys the uh, what was it, largest, most awesomest live yeah. savage. It's, world it's like the, it's like the claimers on on Walking Dead. You just lick it and it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then yeah, I feel I'll, like it's it's a we're probably the premier savage worlds live stream in the world. Yeah, and, and all Whole the saving world. throw people have now licked their screens. Yeah, that's <laughs> ours. You can claim. I would say if, if we make this because statement, we know of no other thing past the planet. So just go for it all. You're right, that, that, you're the best in the universe. Exactly. Okay. It's kind of like I yeah, would just say if we make this statement, we're going to end up getting like traveling live art play RPGs who like show up to kill us to prove themselves. <laughs> but as long as you're recorded, it make great stream, right? Exactly, and mm-hmm. it would be totally worth it. Two streams in her, one stream leaves. <laughs> well, and, and really, I mean, you know, comparing this with the, you know, Mrs. USA and Mrs. Universe, like there can be a swimsuit competition because we're going to do our best to convince you guys to join us a year from now on the Savage Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting you out to Genghis is one thing, but, you know, captive on a ship, seven days, Woo. you know, Mai Tais. Margarita's. You had me at swimsuit competition. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's easy. <laughs> yeah, clearly. 
The uh, so yeah, let's talk about Genghis, guys. Like the besides what everyone else has seen you guys play, so mostly it's been Jordan being the GM. Like everybody who came out for Genghis stepped up and game mastered for us, which was amazing. So what was that like? Let's start with Megan, her ladies first. What was it like uh, uh, donning the game master title for? Well, that was my first time uh, running a game at a convention, um, which was I was very, very anxious about because I had no idea what to expect. But honestly, it was a really good experience. I had a lot of fun. I had really great players. I, I jammed two nights, um, and I it, it was a good experience. It really was. I it, it was nowhere near as intimidating as I expected it to be. And I'd really only I mean I jammed a little bit before that, but not not a whole lot in the scheme of things. So I I had fun. Except one thing I will say is my throat hated it. It was so hard to to talk that loud for uh, you know four hours two nights in a row. But so tell us what what did you run at Gangs? I. I ran, uh, I called it Mysterium, basically, and I, it's a it's a story inspired by the board game Mysterium, which I actually did a three-part mini-campaign on uh, Saving Throw last year with that, Jordan Pridgen was in that. And, it was fun. Uh, yeah, and it, I used Rises, uh, actually, as the system for that, which I kind of learned that it was a little too, too rules light for what, just for me in general and what I wanted, so this time at Genghis Khan I used Savage Worlds and I liked that a whole lot better nice so the so it wasn't your first time game master but first time running at a con which is it's a whole different beast in and of itself what was your first time game mastering ever do you remember Yes, because it was not that long ago. Um, the first time was uh, I did Magic and Mischief, which is a lasers and feelings hack. Um, and I and we we recorded it, but not really because the recording never happened. But um, it was uh, it happened. It, it just happened. Didn't record any audio? Right. Okay. So we recorded without the audio. But um, but yeah, it was with Dom and Garav and and uh, the marshal here, uh, marshal, the dean. Um, uh, he was in it and a few other people. And it was kind of my, cause we have our Jordan Callerman and I and Garav have our podcast experience pointers where we talk about GM stuff. So it was sort of for that, that we did it kind of like a, here's a GM GMing for the first time. Uh, it was a good experience. I had a lot of fun, went way longer than I expected it to, but you know, that, that was, that was all good. Say it always uh, does. Uh huh. Yep. But again, I found lasers and feelings to be too Two rules light of a system for me. I wanted a little bit more to play with. Now, Lasers and, and Feelings, that's, it's like only like one or two pages long, isn't it? It's one of the, like those it's, micro games, right? Page. Yeah, it's one page long. So is Rises. Or, well, I guess Rises is four pages, but they're both very, very, very simple in their uh, mechanics. Yeah, I've, lo- I've looked at that one. I've looked at that one, and then I looked at uh, All Out of Bubblegum. That's another one of those kind of micro games. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, kind yeah. of, they're kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah, they are really interesting. There's another one called Lady Blackbird that I'm kind of that I had looked at uh, for Mysterium actually. That's kind of interesting, but that one like kind of has a, 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 I don't know if you'd say a story exactly, but it's, it's more of like a scenario, and yeah. then you can choose to use the rule system to play your own stuff. I think it, it's it's interesting too, but I think I'd probably run into the same problem for me personally as a GM slash I mean, player. I find things like that are really great when, when you just want to do something 
like quick without a lot of setup that's meant to be more like funny and loose and fun right uh but you know if you're trying to really like run a campaign and tell a story it, it doesn't lend itself to that that much right you need mm-hmm. a, need something a little beefier and and i think yeah. from what what you're saying and it sounds sounds like a lot of people's same experience is that savage worlds is just enough it's right. just right just right yep. exactly so the uh, tell us um uh, where do you come from uh, and how did you get into gaming what was the first game you picked up <laughs> um well i'm from oklahoma originally uh, and the the first game I played was 3.5 Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, Jordan here was my GM. Um, your DM at that point. Yeah, you're right, DM at that point. Uh, but that was the first game, and I just the, the the biggest thing I probably said this a million times because it's like my go to story about that. Uh, I we were playing who was playing the Amy Vorpal played in that game too because that, yeah. that was in college, um, and I. Um, you know, we were in the tavern setting, and it's like, okay, everyone introduce yourself. So it got to me, and I was like, well, I'm an elf. I have low-light vision. Uh, and I just started, like, listing all the things that it was to be an elf, because I didn't realize they meant in character. And everyone kind of was like, oh, no, no, like this. And, yeah, it was fun, though. <laughs> uh, so that was my that was first. And honestly... We, we would run a bunch of games, but we would never really get very high level before, you know, the group would fall apart and we'd try again. So um, I don't, I think, I, th- I don't think I've gotten to, to level 10 in, in D&D ever. You haven't gotten to level 5 in D&D ever. I, well, I did on Iron Keep. We were, oh, we well, got up to 6. Yes, but, yes, that's yeah. true. So that was I, my experience. I think that might be kind of a common experience amongst D&D players, especially, I mean, some of us started a little bit earlier like middle school and your mm-hmm. attention spans aren't as long at that age and i i remember the, like the getting to level 10 meant like writing a level 9 character to start and ah, mm-hmm. you know oh but yeah, man i get that yeah i, I just had a, that's just funny to me because I, I started middle school and my and like we played we just had one set of characters we played throughout middle school and most of high school wow and it was like wow. we wanted them to get to we wanted them to be, get to god level like that was our goal. Huh. The uh, and so I think the, all, the only thing left to do now is like Vin Diesel, like have a multi uh, blockbuster movie based upon your middle school campaign. Right? When, <laughs> yeah, right. God, geez. it would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff doesn't age well. No. Well, it's like when you start playing, you also go through the, I'm going to be an evil character. And, and we go into this town, let's, j- if someone disagrees with us, let's just rob them. <laughs> like, it, it, you don't have well thought out characters. It's all just like, I'm a wizard and I'm cool and mm. I can do crazy things. Yeah, that was pretty much where I started in the hobby. In fact, it was so unoriginal. It was literally a copy of my friend Reese's character. It was like, I had no idea how to start. Like, and it's like, you know, when you're in, I think it was like AD&D at the time, um, there's just a lot to, like, character creation. And I'm like, um, can I just copy your homework, basically? So yeah. we had two of the same character. And because it was a Monty Hall situation, we both had the Staff of the Magi, which was, like, probably the most powerful mage, like, item listed in the basic book. You know, it was basically all the spells and a hundred of them. And, um you know, and then my Munchkin story for that, which I've told a million times, is 
neither of us ever ended up using it because then the other person would have one that had one more spell than we did. So we just couldn't have that. So <laughs> it was rather hilarious. We were running around with two very, very powerful weapons. It's kind of like a nuclear proliferation post. I was going to no, say, that sounds very Cold War. Right? That was, mm. we kind of had a, a miniature Cold War in action. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've grown a little bit, maybe, somewhat. <laughs> so mo- most of us have that, that uh, fluid... Uh, alignment in, in games with alignment that, uh, you know, uh, kill it, take it stuff, and move on to the next thing, whether we're an evil character or not. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the game rewards it. So that's, that's always, always my problem with alignment is there were alignments, and there was, isn't anything really rewarding about them. There's just punishment if you are a cleric or a paladin and go against your alignment. But... Um, Man, but being lawful good is its own reward, right? My first character was a paladin. I had the exact opposite experience that all of you were talking about. I wanted to be the most heroic character I possibly could be. uh, That sounds about right. I mean, uh, well, here's a question for you then. Um, As transitioning from a player to a game master, where you have to play like all the other characters that show up in the story, um, how has that transition been from wanting to be the heroic center of the story to in a weird way like the servant of the people who you were with trying to serve up a story and play evil characters at the same time as good characters and oh i mean i i I love it um i like most people i feel like took on the role of uh dm in college uh somewhat reluctantly because no one else wanted to do it and i had the books so it was like okay i'll learn i guess i'd rather play um and i stayed that way through most of college um but once uh towards the end of college and then once we graduated and you know moved into real life um I, I found myself more often than not wanting to be the uh the gm and uh now i far prefer it like i don't mind to play every now and then but i get such a more uh fulfilling experience out of uh out of gming a game uh because i think uh for that for that reason uh i get to play all of these different characters. I get to be, you know, these very heroic NPCs. I get to be these, uh, you know, despicably evil NPCs. Um, I get to kind of, like, shape a, a story outline and then watch it kind of come to life in the player's hands. Um, for, for me, I, personally, there's there's no more uh, entertaining uh, role to be at the game table than in the GM seat. The, so how would you bridge the three? How are they, they the similar and different between a home game, uh, a streaming game, and a convention game as a game master? Uh, well, that's kind of the thing that I always talk about. I have a difficult time with that question because I run all those games pretty much the same way. Um, I, th- with the exception of like the interactive elements and a right. little bit of, of uh, thought about you know how a game is going to look to an audience, there's not much difference between how I run a home game, run a convention game, and run a stream game. Well, having played in in one of each of those that Jordan has run, I can tell you that what he's saying is true. Like, the way he runs the game on stream is the way he runs the game at home, like he said, without... Uh, without just the audience interaction. But the main difference is that he does more uh, mood lighting and things like that at home because he has more control over that. Whereas at the studio, we would love to, but we just don't have that kind of control yet. And then at a convention, he's more likely to run a game that um, is probably a bit more fast, furious, like maybe more dangerous, things like that, simply because it's 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 one-shot territory. That, that's true. Uh, if I can have 100% control of the atmosphere around the game table, I absolutely will use that to my 
full advantage. Well, like one time we were in this monastery and uh, and it was like me and one other player and he turned off all the lights and lit some candles and I had this really creepy Alpine Blizzard like tape that played this horrific sound that he played and then we found a note at one point and he had written out the note wet it a little bit put it in the freezer and, and it was frozen so <laughs> nice. those are the kinds of things you miss at a convention or uh at on stream for the most part because we don't have access to that and quite or control of that in quite the same way nicely done so tell us jordan gm where are you from and uh, how'd you get into gaming originally yeah and what did uh, you run at genghis Oh. oh, and what did I run at Genghis? Yeah, uh, so I'm from Houston originally, um, and I got into gaming, and I, I feel like I've, I've probably told this story on a variety of different uh, platforms, but um, I got the, uh, the AD&D uh, beginner's box back when I was like 11 or 12 from this weird hobby store that I made my mom drive me out to because they were like the only place in the area that sold anything like that. Um, and I opened it up, and it came with like a CD of, like, all of these, like, kids and teens recording, like, a play session so you could get an idea of what a play session was like. Uh, and I remember, like, reading through the book and being like, oh, my gosh, this game is going to be amazing. I can't wait to play this. And, like, I tried desperately to get any of my friends to play it with me, and they wouldn't. Like, none of them would even... They were like, no, whatever, that doesn't sound interesting. Um, I tried to get my dad to play it with me, and... Uh, I gave him the pre-generated elf character, and he treated it like one of Santa's elves, which was really, <laughs> really deeply upsetting to me. As That's a, awesome. As, as a middle schooler, and I was like, no, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're doing this all wrong. <laughs> they're elegant people. <laughs> no, they're short, and they deliver presents, and they work in sweatshops. <laughs> right, he was like using this like little squeaky voice. I was like, stop it. Stop what you're doing. Um, so it, it just didn't happen for me uh, until college, really. I didn't really get to play until college. Um, and then uh, I started playing 3.5. That was the edition that I cut my teeth on. Um, and then eventually I found Savage Worlds, and the rest is history. Um, but at Genghis Khan, I ran a, uh, uh, a game called Survive the Night 2, uh, which was basically a, uh, a a fake sequel to a fake horror movie where all of the players were unwitting stock characters uh, delivered at random, and uh, they were just trying to survive uh, the the night. They got to to choose which uh, which sort of supernatural evil uh, killer was the villain from the first movie that returned in this one, and uh, that kind of changed the session each time we played it, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, wasn't quite as high lethality as I wanted it to be because I had 13 characters prepared for them to cycle through. Um, but so many people showed up with such awesome characterization for these like these terrible high school archetypes that I just didn't have it. I didn't have the heart to, to put an end to their play at the table. So, Yeah, so you're lucky I wasn't in that game because I would have gone, like I would have been the scene one um, frisky high school kids who are sneaking off to have sex, and they're guaranteed to die in the first three minutes of the film, right? Um, yeah, you, or, you would have to die. It's just how the trope works. Right? Yeah. Exactly. If you don't yeah, there, die, then no, what do you do no for the rest of the No dice rolling, no nothing. That is GM fiat all the way. You're dead. Right? Mean, <laughs> it's like if, if, you, if you get naked, so whether you're like swimming naked you know, in the ocean in Jaws or, you know... There's there's the you know high school romance like yeah there's just there's nothing else for those characters to do because I don't think except in parody any of those characters have ever survived the films to put down another trope like you just that's you're, true you're the dead one I did get the chance to uh, stab a high schooler who went into a hot tub by himself that's uh, it. to that's death enough. so th there we go 
That was pretty cool. <laughs> you, you have fulfilled the mission required by that trophy. Yes. In game, right, Jordan? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Dom. I was about to say, don't take that sound bite out on its own. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we do some LARPing here, too, you know. <laughs> yes, quote-unquote LARPing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we were in Aurora. I mean, it was fitting, right? <laughs> the uh, wait, so, 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 Jordan, you have um, achieved one of the rarities in nerddom. You've married someone who's into your hobbies, too. Uh, yeah, that's yes. like Valhalla. Yes. How did that happen? Uh, what was that? I said that's like Valhalla. I mean, like, how <laughs> did that happen? Uh, it's it's pretty great. Uh, no, that was just something like er- early on in in mine and Megan's relationship. It was just something that was important to both of us. That was that we were interested in the things each other were interested in. And luckily, uh, although she didn't know a lot about tabletop gaming when we when we first started dating, uh, she was really interested in in the concept of it and has been. Uh, has been really cool about uh, playing in all of my games and trying all of the weird different ideas that I want to do. He says he's been really nice about it. I I more am pretty demanding that I play in all of his games. Like, for example, when we were going to do wild cards, they were trying to figure out what night it was going to be on. I was like, it has to be on this night. Because if it's not on Friday and it's on Tuesday instead, I can't be in it. So that's not going to (laughs) happen. You know. See, see, normally, I mean, in in the, the patriarchal gaming society... It's the game master's significant other that ruins the games. That does the Yoko Ono bit. That you know, no, you guys can't play anymore. I'm, right. I'm claiming my 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 GM husband back. Um, we have a few of those in our game group. Instead, it sounds like we have like the the Clint Black and Jody Black part two here. Like you guys might actually have claim on being. I mean, if Clint and Jody Black are the first couple in Savage Worlds Gaming. You guys might have claim for the second couple in Savage Worlds Gaming because you both play, you both GM, you both do conventions. Uh, and, yeah. well, and you guys also have, like, you do the live stuff. You're like Hollywood types, too. So you might be the first celebrity couple. Ooh. Ooh. You guys are you guys are handing out titles you left are. and right today. Right? Yeah, it's a little Monty we'll Hollish. It. We like to, we like to get our guests. Yeah, come back. He, he's a little he's a little loosey goosey on handing out the titles. <laughs> right. It's kind of what we do. The um, so speaking of titles and handing stuff out. So which one of you took the other one's name? We actually took each other's names. Oh, yeah. so romantic. Yeah, although I got to be honest, it's real hard to tell anyone what our names are. There's anymore. not a form in the world prepared for us. Um, <laughs> we kind of made that mistake. Yeah, but we're we're both. Our legal last name is Caves Callerman, um, which is what I go by. Uh, Megan still goes by Megan Caves when she is uh, like doing any sort of like performance or stuff because that is her. Uh, that is her. My SAG name. Actually. Yeah, that's her performance name. Uh huh. So which one of you was born Caves and which one was born Callerman? I'm Caves. And He's I'm Callerman. Callerman. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. The, uh, <laughs> this is very much like, so like you know, doing a little family genealogy. And when you, if you ever end up with the Spanish, they collect everybody's names. They don't do the you know, uh, oh. English or German paternal ones. So you get people who literally on their documents have 14 last names. And they, <sighs> they do it in some logical way where you can actually tell, you know, the 14th name in this list is the, um, the maiden name on the father's side two generations back or whatever. Um, wow. But yeah, yeah. In, in in the English speaking countries, we generally don't do that. So that's why you got you kind of have to ask because it's it's a cool new thing people are doing, right? Like you're actually yeah. you know, taking each other's names and showing your your uh, your union. But then it's like, okay, well, who's is who's, and then who's uh huh. So that is, I've got a friend too who she a couple of people who've taken their like the the women have taken their last name as a second middle name. 
I've also heard that, and we considered actually doing that, but then we were like... Mm. We also considered just coming up with a new last name entirely, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we didn't want to be, you know, that Those disruptive <laughs> to the genealogical process of our of our uh, future um, offspring or uh-huh. whatever. <laughs> right? And that, 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 that is the big question, right? It's like when you start having kids and you start compiling last names... And, mm-hmm. you know, some, some, some families do stuff where, like, the mother's maiden name, if it sounds good as a first name, will get a, a first or a middle name for kids. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so you can kind of see how some of those names, like, that's kind of how a lot of last names become first names is, is literally just recognizing the, 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 you know, maternal line, you know, names. Anyways, it's cool stuff. Yeah. I, I think it could be kind of funny that, that this generation is probably going to be leading to a lot of people where, like, the young, I don't know, Thomas Caves Callerman marries a young Ginny Schmoot Nicholson. Right. And they're like, great, we will be the Cave Schmoot Nicholson Callermans. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it is kind of funny. I mean, I think it's one of those things that because we have the freedom to do that now culturally because we have record keeping that's much better. Like, it's Mm. it's kind of one of of those things where, yeah, we can because now, you know, we have digital and digital will hopefully be forever. Um, You know, (laughs) as long as we're around, so... The, right. um, so speaking of names and right, confusing so let's, names, let's do. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say other Jordan. The other Jordan. Let's have the other Jordan tell us a little bit about yourself and your yeah, gaming so history. Tell us of your home world, Usul. So I, uh, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, um, and I lived there and around there most of my life. And uh, my parents are still there. And then I um, went to university and got a programming degree. Uh, but I like always acted and stuff, and so I then eventually came out to LA and uh, did this. Uh, and I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since um, since middle school. Uh, in sixth grade, a teacher we read a book called uh, Night of the Twisters, and it was like a bunch of tornadoes. But at one point, they're like, "We stayed in the basement and played Dungeons and Dragons," and I was like, "What is that?" Night of the Twisters. That's the that's the uh, oh crap that with Devon Sawa or whatever right they made it into a movie. You know I I do not know well enough. I just remember basically all I remember about that book Sawa? is it involved twisters and there was a point where they were in the basement playing Dungeons and Dragons and my oh teacher my told me about it and I went home and was like Mom I heard about Dungeons and Dragons and my parents were like that's that thing that makes kids go into the sewers and kill each other. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that sounds familiar. Sewers. That's a that's a new uh, wrinkle in the in the stereotype I haven't heard before. Really? You haven't heard that? Yeah, I haven't heard the... about the sewers. No, do they do they flush do they flush the D&D playing kids down the sewers <laughs> and then they end up growing into full uh, basement dwelling D&D players? Well, that's how that's that's how you find uh, uh, people to play uh, clerics. Is that they they were already flushed down in the sewers and, and they, they float, need to be support. Float, everybody else sinks. All the right. clerks float <laughs> down here. Um, but yeah, I, I was hooked and I, I freaking loved it. And our, our friend Nathan ran the game for us for years. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but we weren't really playing by any proper rules. Like we had second edition books. I had a beat up old second edition player's guide that was literally falling apart from the day I got it. Um, but for the most part, we were just like, well, we're playing this game. Sometimes we'll roll dice. And if it's a high number, we'll feel pretty good about stuff. <laughs> if it's a low number, oh, boy, that's going to be bad. <laughs> that's, that, um, that's pretty much accurate. Yeah, that sounds so yeah. familiar. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of happened with me. I mean, I played – I can't really say I played in middle school. I, you know, I we used to come out to Colorado and visit my cousin. 
and uh, one of his friends had the books, and you know we would sit and I'd be here for two weeks and and we'd play once or twice, but that's exactly how we played. So yeah, I'm kind of I I'm a late comer to the game. I came in basically right about three five as well. So hmm. yeah. Yeah, I played a little second edition, and uh, 3.5 basically came out probably a year after I started, so I didn't get a lot of second edition play in. Hmm. Uh, I think I think third was out when we started playing, um, but we just had my friend's brother's books because he left for college and just had all his books left. And I went to, like, uh, there was this place called The Book Exchange, which is just like a used bookstore, and I found the one crappy copy of the player's handbook they had. Um, so we, we eventually switched to kind of playing third edition. But, uh, but you know, we just used what we had. That was the thing. Yeah, it, it sounds very similar to, like, how, you know, GM Jordan became GM. It's like, yeah, there's got to be the kid who owns the books. Right. And, and then, you know, <laughs> optional having have read the books, right? <laughs> like, so, yeah, 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 throw dice. High is good. Low is bad. Let's go. Let's mm-hmm. do this. The, uh, yeah, work out our little preteen angst against each other using dice instead of you know, <laughs> passive aggressivity. Uh, oh man, and it, and it was it was just loads of that. I remember all the times that I would like find excuses to like attack the kid who I found really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. I admit it. Yeah. <laughs> so do you uh, do you GM at all? Or do you uh, mostly just play? I have GM'd a couple times. Back when I was a kid, I had to GM sometimes, just because, especially after that main group uh, stopped being a thing as much. It was the exact same situation where if you wanted to play a game, you pretty much had to GM. You know, it was hard to find people to do stuff. And uh, I remember this. This is just kind of a, a silly thing. I once I met a bunch of girls through Dungeons and Dragons in high school. Wait, what? Um, yeah, I know. Uh, because I was just sitting at lunch at, in high school, and these three girls came up to me and were like, Hi, we heard you play Dungeons and & Dragons. And I was like, where did you hear that? <laughs> who, who would tell you that? Do I need to, I need to stop them from saying these things. Um, and they were like, no, we want you to like teach us how to play. And so I ran a session with just these, like, the, with these three girls I knew from class for you know, a couple months, and that was really fun. But I've never GM'd as much because I, I'm not a great planner. Uh, I really like rolling with the punches. Uh, I, I like uh, improvisation. I did improv comedy since I was 14, and I've really enjoyed that. And I would love to, like, run a more full campaign. I've run a lot of, like, one-offs. Like, I, I've run Everyone is John, and I love, love, love Fiasco on the channel but something that's like more of an extended campaign I, I haven't done in a very long time see to me that just says that you have a somewhat flawed understanding of gming uh i bet you could run <laughs> a really a really kick-ass uh improvisational campaign uh oh, yeah. if you found the right uh the right way to approach it but we'll we'll talk later yeah, yeah i mean i've got ideas we'll chat talking mm-hmm. about i know where you live improvisational campaign i uh put uh, Fox here through the ringer at Genghis Khan talking about games. This was the first time he had done like improv on the fly and I kind of threw him to the wolves and <laughs> tell us about your experience with improv there. Uh, I was freaking out a little bit at the beginning. You know, I don't, that, that's one thing. I'm, I'm a plot point GM. I run the plot points. I, I love Deadlands and so I'm running 
uh, the Deadlands plot points I've run, Noir. So I'm more of a, of, of a plot point person and trying to kind of go off script even years and years. I mean, I've been gaming forever. It's still difficult for me. And so, yeah, uh, I was freaking out a little bit and, and tried to make Dustin run the game instead of me, but uh, he wouldn't let me off the hook and it didn't happen. Yeah, the, the background so here we, is that we're, we're all working on Bureau 13, which is a revival right. of a 1980s, 90s, uh, one of the first game RPG games. Um, people haven't encountered it before. It's kind of X-Files before X-Files, Supernatural Ooh. before Supernatural. Like, there's actual decent evidence that the term X-Files originated with Bureau 13, and the guys who Whoa, nice. stole it. So, um, And it's a little more tongue-in-cheek, though. It's not, It didn't quite go as dark and serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so get get smart with X-Files, kind of. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good. Cool. Yeah, and so he just gave me a, a general idea and a bunch of stuff that he printed out from the Internet, and it was at an amusement park. I've been to that amusement park, but it was basically... Yeah, I don't really have an adventure, but this is the ideas I've had of what was going to happen. Go ahead and go run the game, and I'm like, uh, 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 uh. and it, it actually went off really well. So that that really helped me a lot to to kind of prove to myself that I can do this. I just have to relax a little bit and not get so uptight. Yeah, I, I think it's a super empowering thing to experiment with as, as a GM because if you get into a situation where you do that, and it, it sounds like you had this experience where you were like, wow, yeah, I actually. I can actually do this with with this stuff, like because you have that background in gaming to fall back on, uh, and then when you realize you can do that, it's like wow, this can open up a whole new layer of things I can do at the table. Yeah, and, and you know that's that's one of the things with me is, is is I am one of those people who if I don't feel like I could I'm doing something well or I don't feel comfortable with it, I'm very quick to let it go and give up on it. And I need to get out of that because uh, I've shared a story with these guys before, but I'll share this with you because you guys run some ETU, and we could talk a little bit about that. But um, I had an ETU game at a convention, and uh, these folks started calling themselves the Short Bus Group. Um, And it was an ongoing game where we were going to go through... They created their own characters. We're going to take them from freshman to to senior year. And so they came together at the game table for their very first game. Nobody knew anyone. And so I decided, hey, how how can we get them together? I said, well, what I'll do is I'll put them in like a 15-minute interlude at a frat party. Three and a half hours later, we had not gotten to the adventure because they had not left the frat party. It was the best game and the best table I've ever run, and it was me sitting back letting these guys play the game and then just riffing off of them. And so I, I, I don't know. It's just something in my head won't let me get around that, hey, I have to have something written out because it, it was a great game. Yeah. Yeah, poor Sarah Martinez. Sarah Martinez is uh, one of our local game masters and authors. And um, we kind of. Oh, yeah, we met her at Genghis. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah she was one who wrote it. Yeah, so, so we, we concocted the idea. We were playing, we were all playing in a Neil Hyde game, I don't know, four or five years ago. And. The, uh, she was looking for some, something to do, and I was like, hey, why don't you run a real-time game? Like, if ETU is four years, and we've got two, two conventions, two big conventions we go to, um, why not do one convention spring semester, one you know, co- uh, convention's fall semester, and do a four-year campaign? And she's like, great, and then she did it. And, uh, and that was what Chris was running, because we had a lot more demand for it than just Sarah could run. And uh, so poor Sarah had to not only accommodate running the four-year arc of a plotted campaign, she had to make up for the short bus group that was missing uh, one of their semesters to start with. Yeah, she stood behind – she kind of stood behind me for the last half hour, 45 minutes 
of the game. And they got a synopsis in the last five minutes going, okay, so this is what was supposed to happen. So when you guys get ready to play part two, you'll have some sort of an idea of what's going on. Uh, summer school. Yeah, it was great. It was a great game. So, Pridgen, if you would make the jump into being a, uh, writing your own scenario, being a game master, what kind of setting would you pick? Would you do fantasy or swashbuckling? Oh, man. Or... I, I actually have a lot of very specific ideas for this. One thing I've really wanted to do that I've been talking about for a while is um, I love I love the Deadlands Noir setting. And we haven't really played in it, but I would really love to do... Uh, the, the idea I've, I've talked about before is doing... Basically, the movie The Untouchables, right? Nice. But in Deadlands Noir. And if there's, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it or whatever, but whatever. Um, uh, like, Al Capone is a, uh, he's a Harrowed in the thing. Nice. So I, I think that, like, people going in and being like, all right, we're just taxmen. We need to, you know, figure out, get this guy in. And have the, like, darkness of the world start to seep into everything, I think, could be a really cool, like, twist on that uh, story that already exists. That would be really so, cool. Yeah, no, that'd be fantastic. And could be, I, I do have to say, you know. oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I have to say, playing under JCC um, has sort of changed a lot of my uh, mentality about, like, what I'd want to do in a game. Because I'm just like, oh, there is so much potential in, like, horror. And uh, that's not something I would have ever seen as uh, being what I would like to bring into a game. But now that I've, like, played in all of them, I'm like, oh, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like traditional fantasy games, but I think I would want to be doing different settings. Because I think that's really where it's fun to play characters. Like, I also had an idea about doing a, basically, a uh, pirate campaign where you'd be like a group of people on a ship who have to deal with like tight quarters for a while and people kind of going crazy on the ship and then maybe a island that isn't what it appeared when you showed up and stuff so i don't know i have yeah, a bunch of ideas we got a system for you yeah for we that. got yeah we have a system you could look yeah? at for that uh, that would be called buccaneer through hell and high water Ooh, i will look into that right we're plugging it so fox wrote that with uh, his friend brett and i tagged on at the end and um, we're definitely going to be playing that on the Savage Cruise because you, know, you can't exactly oh, write nice. a Caribbean-centered pirate right. setting and then not play it when you're on a boat in the Caribbean. So, Oh, that's perfect. So, yeah, so plugging ourselves twice. If you get it we'll on sale now for $39.95 on Drive RPG. That's right. And like I said, we'll talk about the cruise a little bit later. So, so, so yeah, now, now we've got you hooked. So now you just have to do it. So exactly. we, we've got yeah. you committed. The ideas are out there. Now you just have to make them happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to talk to... The producer. Oh. What do you think? Yeah. So, Dom. Yes. Introduce yourself, senor. Yes. He's quiet in the corner, but... You actually... Oh, Dom, you made it back in. I, oh, I'm here. See, this this whole time we've been talking, Dom ac- accidentally got dropped from the thing, and we've been trying to figure out how to get him back into the conversation. Oh, look <laughs> look at that dramatic time. reveal where you were like, Dom, and he was like, yes. <laughs> like, he'd just been sitting there waiting for you to address him this whole time. <laughs> we want to hear from you, Dom. We want to pick your brain and ask you questions. Okay, you've got ten minutes. <laughs> All right, nice. let's do it. We're doing it. So, uh, you are the... the producer behind the show what does it mean to produce a series like saving throw uh wow um 
uh, basically, you've got ten minutes, Dom. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I basically have. I basically wear all of the hats. So um, I I came from a film production background, and uh, so starting this was relatively similar to getting getting a film kind of going. But a lot of it is you're mixing the the, the worlds of podcasting and uh, live streaming and film production and television production all in one to kind of create this. So uh, I'm, you know, managing schedules, I'm managing uh, players and casting and um, what shows we're going to do and how we're going to do them, equipment, all of that stuff. Uh, I'm sort of behind all of that. Nice. So the uh, to, to help plug you guys, um, because we know that like, even just running a podcast is extremely expensive, how are all the different ways using Twitch and other, other platforms can people support your efforts to make sure that this stays online and on the air? Like, how can people throw money at you guys? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, the easiest and probably most fun way is to watch live, if, if possible, um, because we have... Uh, you know, unlocks that sort of help direct the story and can assist the the players as they go. Um, but uh, honestly, we you know we have a Patreon and we have um, you know Twitch subscriptions and things like that. And and I, I just want to throw out there real quick because uh, I don't know how many people know this. On our Patreon, if you are a backer at a certain level per month, you can get uh, your own custom NPC added into Wild Cards. Uh, mm-hmm. So. That is that is a uh, a perk uh, that that we have on our Patreon page. Yeah, yeah, a lot of like the interesting side characters throughout the the seasons and Deadlands have been uh, in Patreon NPCs, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the way. I mean, we're we're on podcast uh, with with a few of our shows, including Wild Cards. Uh, so you can watch there, of course, or YouTube and uh, and on Twitch. But uh, I would say that probably the the most engaging way um for both us and for the uh the viewer is to uh contribute via twitch but uh if you want to be a little bit more passive about it patreon is also a great way to do it too nice so so for those of us who are um twitch noobs the um how does supporting a channel work on twitch like yeah so um there's a few easy real easy ways um if you are already an amazon prime member you can actually subscribe to one channel on Twitch for free with a Prime subscription because Amazon owns Twitch. So if you already have Prime and you're paying for that, you're literally leaving money on the table by not subscribing to a channel. <laughs> it doesn't cost you any more. It's just a free subscription. So if you have Prime, just head on over to our channel and click the subscribe button. It's usually in the upper right-hand corner. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can subscribe normally. And there's we actually have three tiers of subscription, which... Uh, every time you subscribe to our channel, every month that you continue your subscription, you can give at least one reroll to a player of your choice that month. Uh, and if you subscribe at a higher tier, you can give more rerolls to more people or to the same person if you want. We've had multiple people subscribe at tier three, which is the highest level, that, which gives you four rerolls, and they've given four rerolls to one person. <laughs> yes, they do have. Do not die. <laughs> Please do not die. I love like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. But. Uh, Otherwise, um, we have some commands in the chat room. If you type exclamation point tips, or if you look at our profile underneath the video, we, there's a little button that just says like donate uh, or tips, something along those lines. And you can click that or uh, type exclamation point tips 
and you get a link to go to and it's just like checking out of Amazon or checking out of uh, PayPal or something like that. You can use a PayPal, you can use a credit card, anything. It's super easy. And uh, just, you know, contribute. The, the, Twitch also has these things called bits that you earn um, by watching ads and things along those lines. And that functions just like cash. Uh, it seems to be an easier way for people. They don't mind kind of loading up on a few ads uh, at the beginning and then uh, and having some bits to sort of throw around later. If you subscribe to the channel, you don't get any ads on our channel. So um, that's a nice way if you're annoyed by the ads that play uh subscribing is a great way to kind of take those away from our channel anyway you'll still get them on other channels that you don't subscribe to but um yeah so that's kind of how that works and and we have you know an unlocks page which every show kind of has their own unique unlocks uh for that particular episode and uh they're usually unique and a lot of fun and we we try to jordan does a really good job of uh, merging those into the story. So it's not uh, something that just kind of adds elements that don't belong in, in the in the world or in that story or are just sort of fan service kind of things. They Yeah, they, I try really hard not to drop jetpacks on everybody. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they expand the narrative, which I think is 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 really important to um, helping us at the table kind of get into the game and not take us out in this. And similarly for people watching or listening, they're not um, sort of destroying that narrative that we've been, we've been working and instead just, like I said, expand it and, and, and increase the, the value of it. Well, and finding the level where it, it is like constructive to the narrative and not, um, not destructive, but not unimportant has, uh, I think, something that Jordan's gotten really, really good at and, like, has took a while for some parts of the channel to, like, really figure out. But, like, now I know as a player, like, it's always exciting when the tiers get unlocked and things get put in. It's like, oh, cool. Some yeah. new element. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's an interesting way. And I know a lot of people are not used to something because – the Twitch landscape is a very different landscape than YouTube or podcasting or anything because we have a live audience that is also there with us. And so there's a lot of, you know, talk back essentially to the audience to, to acknowledge them when, when they do contribute. Um, and so sometimes it's a little unsettling to people, but I think we've gotten it to a point where it happens naturally and it's not so it took us a while. The first, the first season of, of wild cards in our deadlands, um, uh, sessions, you know, we were still kind of going off of our old way of doing things and kind of working that stuff through. I was not prepared. It was out of control. I did not <laughs> expect that level of interest in uh, in the campaign from our audience. And like every single player at the table had something like 20, like a- almost 30 rerolls, like every episode that they had access to. It was ridiculous. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I came in for the second season. I was like, I should change this a bit. Yeah. And we, we all agreed wholeheartedly. I mean, it's, it's nice having people come and, and want to support you like that and, um, you know, back you up. But we quickly realized it it was, it was essentially making us immortal and not, <laughs> not really for a fun, a fun session. We just had no worry about anything, you know, Jordan could throw, uh, you know, 20 stones at us and we would have, you know, so much 
re-rolls that eventually we would succeed. And, and that'd be like, I want to catch each of the stones. And he's like, okay, well, you're going to need a raise for each of those stones. And be I, like, screw it. We can do that. I also yeah. thought he was talking about stones, but I think Dom was talking about Jasper stone. Were you talking oh. about any Jasper stones that I, you dumb? I was talking about the stone. Okay. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but I also but, was right there with Pridgen. I was like, I've never thrown a bunch of rocks right? at them. That's a weird <laughs> analogy. What, what if Stone was throwing rocks at us? Like, what about that? You know, we've not considered it. Yeah, I think I think some people, you know, myself included, when I first started, that you know, you you get attached to that character. You don't want that character to die. No. But as you're playing it you start to realize that if there's no risk, like you guys said, it's really not that much fun. Right. You got to have a Absolutely. little bit of risk and a little bit of, of, you know, that your heart starts beating a little bit more. It's something bad going to happen where if, if you don't have that ever, it's just, it's just it, not as fun. Any good, any good storytelling, any good movie um, relies and requires the hero to be able to be put into danger even even ones that are you know super overpowered and you know they're going to survive you still need to feel like they have that there is something that they can't get through or that they have a um their weakness is being shown and i think that that part of part of why wild cards has been successful is that we've explored that with each of our characters and um, I think it's been interesting because the chat has also been able to sort of influence that by they watch the show, they watch how we RP, they watch how we interact with what Jordan is throwing at us. And then Jordan gives them the opportunity to sort of help shape that stuff uh, with the unlocks. And we, I'm the producer and normally for every other show, I'm involved in how those unlocks are written and created. But since I'm a player, on this show, I don't get to see them ever. So I have no idea what he's doing, but it's working. So. I must maintain strict levels of secrecy <laughs> and layers as a GM. He, and right. he does. With like a joking tone, but it's very true. He yeah. does though, even with me. Like yeah. I live here and I don't know things. Well, it's funny because on Friday's show, uh, I don't know when this will appear, but uh, the last Friday uh, show, uh, I guess the 22nd of March, 2019. Episode um, nine. Yeah, there you go. Episode nine. Um, Garav was, uh, was lying, I guess. And uh, Jordan said, you have to tell me, I'm the DM. You have to tell me <laughs> if you're lying and what you're lying about. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way I feel as the producer. I'm like, you have to tell me because I'm the producer. I have to know. But Jordan's like, no. And I'm like, okay, no, you're right. <laughs> player fiat, player fiat, it's a thing. <laughs> the, well, it's interesting how, I mean, all these things kind of go uh, touch on, like, uh, the, the Benny economy in Savage Worlds. Um, very similar kind of topic on, you know, uh, how much gas are you giving it? You know, too much gas and you'll flood the engine, not enough and you don't go anywhere. But there's this, you know, sweet spot on, uh, you know, how Bennies work and, you know, if you're, if you're too generous with bennies, there is that, you know, well, no one's ever going to die because they can re-roll all they want. And uh, I think that's going to be the new interesting thing, figuring out where the sweet spot is in Suede, just because as a default, there are so many more options for bennies now. Um, so yep. that definitely changes the economy on it. And um, hmm. there, there are, but I, I also, I really, really dig, I think we all do, uh, despite sometimes it being so catastrophic. We, we really like the update in Suede where you cannot reroll crit fails. Oh my God. Yeah. It yeah. just, I, I think 
the the combination. Okay, so we we had a moment on our show on Friday. I guess I I shouldn't spoil things too much, but it's just it was like a quintessential Savage Worlds moment to me. Yeah, because it was just down to a situation where we were like going to die or something horrible was going to happen to us, and three of us, three of us had crit failed our way out of the situation. Like we could not help anymore, and then Megan triple aced <laughs> right and friggin saved the day it in was like one of the craziest over one in a thousand roles we've ever seen and and in a way that that not even like this was done with a benny this wasn't even done like the way that we do things now uh, our rerolls are very limited in, in, yeah. in their usefulness and so this wasn't even like she kept re-rolling with chat, you know, given uh, uh, re-rolls or anything like that. She, it was, she had one Benny and that was it. Mm-hmm. And, That's all I had. And so it was just a, like, you know, we had to weigh everything. And, and that's what made it so magical. And, and I think what, what makes the show better and how we kind of operate with, with those sort of chat interactions is that by making the interactions that much more interesting and unique, it helps make the play at the table that much more interesting and unique. And um, it, it sets us up for a situation like we had on that, on that show in episode nine to, to have a standout moment like that, that would not have happened. I mean, it could have easily happened before in like first season deadlands where we had 30 rerolls and you could, and we were playing uh, deluxe, you know, explorers edition and you could reroll crit fails. No problem. Just keep going. Here, Suede has given us an opportunity to sort of expand what we're able to do with rerolls um, and with Benny's uh, and, and kind of allow us to tell an even more engaging uh, story. And I think with ETU, we've, we've constantly been uh, hitting on this point is that ETU, we're not superheroes. We're not, you know, the badasses of the West or anything like that. We are just kids going to college who happen to be running into things that are supernatural and we don't have you know limitless supplies we aren't you know trained special agents or anything like that and so it makes a lot more sense to not have the uh you know the ability for for chat to come in and just save us necessarily so Mm -hmm. that that that's been um that's been a really fun uh change for me um in this game well, I, I would say another thing, just talking about the Benny economy in Suede specifically, even outside of a streaming game, is, yeah, it can be hard to figure out the the like levels of how they need to go out, but especially in Suede, them having so many cool ways to use it, like, I feel like it really encourages you to use instead of hoarding your Bennies. Exactly. And, yeah. And sometimes you can definitely get into the mentality, and we got like this in our first season where we were like, we can't use any Bennies. Like, what if someone shoots us? We don't have to be able to soak. And now it's like, oh, but there's so many amazing ways to use bennies. Like, redrawing your action cards, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, rerolling damage can be huge. It's, I just feel like you're, you're missing out on a huge aspect of Savage Worlds if you aren't using bennies uh, pretty much whenever you want to do something sweet, you know? Yeah, yeah. At um, this is Dustin at one of the uh, convention games at Genghis, we had a crit fail situation where I, as the GM, said, "But you can still spend the Benny to influence the story." 
And the way they made their crit fail with spending that bending was incredible. Um, that kind of dynamic blew my mind that that's available. And um, with that, uh, on the on on saving throw, are you going to look at trying to do things with Bennies in that way of influencing the story, or what kind of ideas do you have to that? Because that dynamic of adding to Savage Worlds, my mind has gone into loops on it. It's uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating thing to be able to to play with. The players have already started using that stuff with me. Um, honestly, as as soon as as we talked about that being something that Bennies can do, they started uh, using that. They don't. They definitely don't abuse it, and that's because I have an amazing group of players. But I, I feel like the times that they that they do choose to use that mechanic for Bennies, it's it's like they want to introduce an, a helpful element to the environment, or or say that they prepared this one thing so that they're ready for it when it shows up. Like I, I really do feel. Like, uh, that adds another level of, like, player control to the narrative that is uh, a really, really cool thing. I have a, um, a a really short piece I did in the World Builder's Guide about um, why Savage Worlds is uh, a system that just is really well suited for streamed tabletop play. And I think all of these reasons that everyone's been talking about right now are, are, are a lot of that. Um, it's all baked into the system, and I think it makes for a really compelling uh, view, viewer experience as well as a playing experience, uh, just because of the way the system is developed. Well, I, I also think that, that that new rule with Binnies, where you can just like influence the story, to me, that's just something that like every system needs, and we just didn't realize it needed until we have it. Because every RPG that I play, there's always situations where people are like, Okay, I would have probably brought rope in this situation, right? I know I never said it. You but always like, need some what? fucking rope. Shouldn't I? Yeah, <laughs> shouldn't? Wouldn't I have brought rope? And having binnies is is almost like being able to bribe the GM and be like, "Hey, remember when I brought rope? Take this binny." <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's also like the first game I ever played on Saving Throw used the Dungeon World system, which has spout lore, uh, which is a really cool mechanic where you can, like, say things about the world, and the GM on a high roll can be like, yep, that is the case. That's part of the world. Or at least the way our GM did it. And I always thought that was the coolest thing, and now it feels like more of that element where, like, you can affect the world with your impression of how you would like things to be and what would set up the coolest situation for you by just putting a binny into it. Yeah, and I think think the nice thing about that in general is just that there's... It's it's an invitation and a limitation at the same time. So, you know, it, it encourages people to do it. But you could have done that as a player before without Bennies. But, you know, you feel it, you might get one player at the table who just always wants to be the, the, the second game master. You know, oh, no. This, you know. But now if you have a Benny, it's, it's a legit invitation for everybody with Bennies to do that. And, again, there's that limitation in the economy part where everything has risk to it. You're, you know, you're giving up something that's an asset you have in your hand. And, um yeah, there's a nice little trade-off. Uh, see. And, well, yeah, and you're totally right that in a limitation, it, it even empowers the GM to a certain extent. If I don't have any bennies and I'm like, I would have definitely put rope in my backpack, right? And he's like, looks like he forgot. <laughs> you don't have any bennies left. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you walked your character into that situation. Let's see what happens. The, uh, you might die. The, um... So, see, Dom, I got to ask you about, you ran an epic game at Genghis Khan. Um, what is it about Scrooge McDuck, man? What isn't it about Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> uh, 
No, I... Tom, you have 10 minutes. <laughs> Less than that. Minute, negative 10 minutes at this point. Right. Uh, no, um, uh, I have... I'm a lifelong DuckTales fan, uh, and uh, I've only... I've been playing RPGs just slightly longer than I've been a DuckTales fan. Um, and I have been looking for years of a way to take the world of DuckTales and make an RPG out of it. And this is the first time at Genghis Khan was the first time that I GM'd uh, Savage Worlds and GM'd at a convention game. And I, that's jumping into the deep end of the money pit. So to speak. absolutely, yes. <laughs> so it was it was a really and you know I had not tested the game at all. I had no idea it was completely imbalanced and stuff like that. I had a blast playing it. My players were all great, and uh, I I learned a lot, but. Yeah, I I love the world of Ducktales and and the the characters and stuff and and, and I think it's just a, a place ripe for um for RPGs. So yeah, I was really happy to be able to finally put that together and 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 create it. I I have run a tailspin and have some interesting things we should do a crossover sometime. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Yeah, and then now that the RMS is publishing, we should totally get on the home phone with Disney and be like, hey, how much is it going to be to license these two properties <laughs> to actually publish this? And we'll just see what number they come back with. And, you know, there's a Kickstarter. We might get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I oh, That would be awesome. But, yeah, expensive. Right, and that's kind of the one thing is that the – that's the one little limitation in the, in the realm where I was, is a lot of us love certain properties that are out there and then just getting licensing for them – is is the big problematic thing? So you yeah. kind of have to file serial numbers off. See, I'm a huge, uh, and it, it, it's there's talk of a comeback, but I I'm, I'm a huge Sliders fan. The first few seasons of Sliders, not the oh, not the God. not the ending, yeah, yeah. but I've always thought that Sliders would be a great Savage Worlds property and a great game to run in Savage Worlds. That'd be mm. fun too. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. But then, then again, I say that about most properties, though. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. Most anything we're watching, will at some point we'll be like, "Man, this would be great in Savage Worlds. Like, this would be a really cool world to play with." Yeah, I can and, totally see where those hindrances would come into play and stuff. Every yeah. now and then, I'll go. You know, I don't know if this system would lend itself to Savage Worlds. And Jordan Callerman will just be like, "Well, that's where you're wrong. Here's how this." That's <laughs> true. I, I did just get back from an industry trade show, and we had a conversation about licensing, and the the bar for licensing is definitely coming down a lot. Uh, there's some interesting discussions about that. There's a new board game out called Villainous. That's a Disney uh, game. It's excellent. Oh, yeah. But the game company that did it uh, did an amazing job on their licensing and how they put that together. So it did not cost them a fortune. So there's conversations about licensing now that um, it uh, it may be approachable. Well, having played in your DuckTales game, uh, I'm in. So we'll, 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 we'll get on the phone with Disney and we'll see we'll make this happen. So we promised you guys we only rented this satellite for an hour and we're a little over. And um, so one last question and we'll go in order of beard epicness. So sadly, Garav is not on, but um, let's see, between Dom and, let's, I think Jordan Pridgen, we, okay. we will give you beard I'll privilege. And um, so should you join us on our, our, the Rocky Mountain Savages first publication, which is called Duel, where we are statting up mechanically or fluffily wise, um, any kind of duel. So epic rap battles in history, um, 
uh, like you know, pistols at dawn, um, submarine warfare in the Cold War, a a demon versus an exorcist over the soul of some girl who ate too much green pea soup. Whatever it kind of duel, um, if you write it, we will publish it. Um, so Jordan P, uh, what kind of duel would you bring to Savage Worlds? Oh, I I don't know. Uh, whenever it comes to like things fighting like that my like go-to is always probably like a super smash brothers situation nice so would we would we consider it like arcade game duel like where there are actually eight big pixels and there's eight big eight big pixel logic involved oh i i think that would be a blast like i also always think that uh role-playing games and video games like that would are, are just obviously like best friends and it would be so much fun to like play and stat out like these old classic video game characters that everybody knows and and play it like it's a video game and stuff. So I, I think that sort of thing would be fun. I always love like Super Smash Brothers and Marvel versus Capcom type stuff. I know that's a little more, you know, it's got comic books and stuff in it. But yeah, that would be awesome. Fantastic. Okay, we'll make that happen. The uh, next of the beard hierarchy, Dom. Lovely beard, seated in person. Very impressed. Uh- <laughs> I'm surprised Jordan got before me, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say uh, giant squid versus humpback whale. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I don't know if it's like an Aquaman thing where you control them or, or you are them. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's to me, that's one of the classic uh, matchups in, in real world (laughs) living things. That one is fantastic. Excellent. We will do it. And, and, and you know, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to be too, too, too favoritist towards Dom because, you know, I got to play this game and gush over his, his magical beard in person. So. And his, and his, and his DuckTales. Uh, yeah, the DuckTales was good, too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Megan, you're next. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Uh, well, what I really tend to like in, in something like that is to take two either, like, really evenly matched in a similar, like, category – or um, two things that, like, the fight would be different. So I was thinking it'd be kind of interesting to see, like, Zuko from Last Airbender and, like, uh, oh, crap, I just forgot his name. The guy from Fantastic... The fire guy from Fantastic... Human Torch? Human Torch, thank you. Um, Like, those two fight. Like, what would that be? Or or I was thinking it'd be interesting to see, like, Dark Phoenix against Dr. Manhattan or something... Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Nice. The cross-genre, similar uh, power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fire versus fire. Fight fire with fire is yours. Nice. Yeah. That kind of stuff I always think is interesting to, you know, it's like, well, you both have pretty powerful abilities and a similar element or whatever it might be. So, you know, how how would that work out? (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Quite excellent. And, And then last and least, because you could grow a beard and you choose not to. Well... Jordan Case Gallerman. Uh, that's that's a, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually cannot grow a beard. So uh, it is it is not by choice. It is uh, it is by genetics. Um, you can grow a goatee. I, yeah, all I can grow is a goatee. That's how my facial hair grows out. Um, uh, I'll never be able to tell you between evil Jordan. Well, that's true. Yeah. So that's all have to mention. There we go. So if, if we ever do spot you with facial hair, we know we have crossed the evil dimension barrier. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, I actually have two answers, which I know is cheating, but um, I got to sit here and think while everyone else was talking. One was very easy, but one that I just thought of. I would love to see um, a mechanical representation of a duel of wits between someone like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. Uh, that would be fantastic. Um, 
Kind of like that scene in the uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, the Sherlock Holmes 2, at the very end where they're just sitting across the couch from each other and mentally they're playing through what they're going to do and how the other person's going to counter it and, and all of that. I would love to see that represented mechanically in a game yeah, system. Cool. I like that. That's that, um, Also, I know you're, you're a DC guy, not a Marvel guy, but there's kind of like a famous confrontation between uh, the first time Charles Xavier ever meets an evil mutant. It's uh, the Shadow King, and they're both psychics, so their entire battle to everyone else just looks like they both are just sitting in a room, kind of staring forward, and then one of them just slumps over dead at the end of the oh, entire that's so thing. Great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, something something like that. Um, or uh, for me, this is this is something on like my back burner, like a like a rainy day project I would love to do uh, a Pokemon battle. I would really, really, really love to see uh, Pokemon uh, translated into Savage Worlds in a way that still felt like Pokemon. So I think uh, having a trainer battle uh, would be a really, really cool thing if you could capture the feel of it properly. Those are both fantastic. Those are excellent. The... um... Yeah, no, I, I love the first one because even if yeah, these I've told this before, but my favorite scene from Dune is it never made it into the movie, and I don't know if it'll make it into the new one, but it's it's Lady Jessica at the dinner party, and it's all in her head, and she's just sitting there analyzing the politics of the entire planet and all of the you know various factions who are vying for power and to kill each other, and it's just kind of all in her head, and and she she you know uses a little bit of conversation to kind of forward it, but it's very much that you know the internal monologue. And I, I, you know, the Sherlock Holmes does it fantastically, where they kind of do little flashbacks and and uh, and, and hypothetical what ifs um, cinematically. But yeah, no, figuring out how to do that in, in a Savage World system would be uh, a real kick in the ass. And um, <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely love the Pokemon idea. Although that's almost a full setting; like you almost got to go full full hog. I know, um, yeah, and that's uh, that's one thing that I, I really do eventually want to take the time to sit down and try. I've never I've never crafted my own setting, um, and that one would that one seems like you know a nice easy one to cut my teeth on. Right. Just you know introduce a whole bunch of new mechanics and whatnot. Yeah, just just give it a go. Right, but that's the thing is you you, know, you just got to start. So you know, that, and that's what even one like I wonder like if we wrote it and then got the do you need the licensing or could we do like pocket monsters with serial monsters you know serial numbers filed off would you, you know. I think it'd have to I think it'd have to be like uh, fanny pack creatures or something right. I think pocket <laughs> monsters even would be too close right the, uh, but no they're fantastic so the uh, well now now I'm going to push you guys to get published because uh, that is our, our new goal as a savage is, is, is all these people do all this great work right and if you're not there at the table I mean like you guys publish in the sense of you put videos out there for the world to consume and, you know, you kind of realize how much overhead there is doing that. Um, you know, it's a lot of extra yeah. work and there's a lot more, uh, skills behind the scene. Uh, like for instance, like Dom was spending the, the better part of last week, uh, negotiating with, uh, service providers to keep yeah. your show on yes. the air. Yes. Like, please, please give us internet back. This is the first yeah. world, isn't it? You know, please be, let it be high speed too. Um, right. you know, and, um, yeah, and, and that's the thing is like so we you know Fox and I having done that, and Dustin now being our our industry rep. There's just a lot of things that that if you are a creative type, you don't want to have to focus on on getting your your vision to the world. And since we had to do the the the, the trailblazing in our little social circle, um, we want to help other people do that. So that's our goal. And uh, so thanks for indulging us on on getting us ideas, and, and I'll definitely be back in touch if you guys actually want to write those up and, and get them in there and get your <laughs> name on a book. And um, we'd love to do it. So last question, tell us where we can find all of you and um to support you uh well i can start um you can find 
uh, me at Megan Caves. So it's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-A-V-E-S on Twitter. Um, and then you can, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or, uh, Twitter, if you use the hashtag wildcardsrpg, you can kind of find us that way. Uh, you can also find, um, Adelaide Blackwood, who is my character on ETU at wildcards underscore Meg on Twitter. Um, that's her account. And you can also find a whole lot of information about wildcards in general at our website, wildcards.savingthrowshow.com. And you just did a really great interview with these sounds like crows boys. Yes, I did. I did. That was fantastic. We will throw that in the links because that is definitely worth checking out. A lot of uh, deep dive good stuff on that. Yeah, we really like yeah. those guys. Yeah, I do too. They're, they're great guys. And you yeah, got to, to meet, meet them, them at Genghis. Yes. Yeah. yeah, finally. <laughs> we've talked to them for a while, but we've never gotten to meet them. The uh, Anybody else have anything to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jordan Callerman, C-A-L-L-A-R-M-A-N. And I just love uh, talking game theory or, or GM uh, approaches and things like that. So please do engage me in conversation there. I um, Once you get me started, it's hard to get me to stop. It's true. And also you can talk to the Dean. That's true. Yeah, you can find me at wildcards <laughs> underscore GM if you want to talk to the entity of East Texas University. Mm-hmm. Um and then also uh, 8 p.m. Pacific times on uh, Friday nights at twitch.tv slash saving throw show. We run wild cards. So please do join us for that. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, what other shows are you on as well? I'm a, so I, right now I'm on three shows on saving throw, but they're across different channels because we're producing them for other stuff. I'm on Monday night show called uh, Ravnica, the broken pact, which is a magic, the gathering Dungeons and Dragons like crossover show that takes place in a magic setting but uses Dungeons and Dragons. And then Tuesday nights I'm on uh, official Paizo for uh, Starfinder or Deep Water Deep, our Starfinder show, uh, which is great. I, those are both, their seasons are kind of wrapping up now, but there's some good stuff out there. And of course, you know, wild cards. That's, that's, that's the Friday night, fun, good, everything. Yeah. Fun, good, everything. Fun, good, everything. A couple people like it. (laughs) I want to see that on a t-shirt. Yep, you got it. Fun, good, everything. It'll be up there. (laughs) Dom? Uh, uh, Savingthrowshow.com, at Savingthrowshow on all the socials. Uh, You can find me at Gadzook, G-A-D-Z-O-O-K, like Gadzook, but spelled uh, right and pronounced right. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, also you can find my wildcards character at wildcards underscore Dom. Oh yes, and I'm wildcards underscore JP. I forgot to say that. And and Garav is wildcards underscore GXG. But he's not here today. So he's not in spirit with his excellent Twitter. beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he would have been first, but oh well. <laughs> Excellent, guys. Excellent. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking with us today. This this has been great. Well, thanks yeah, for having us on. We'll have to have you yeah. on soon, uh, sooner versus later again to talk, like, deep dive on uh, uh, gaming mechanics and all the other philosophical stuff because the uh, Megan gave us a hint of that on the Sounds Like Crows podcast. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. she's really <laughs> smart and knows about games. So <laughs> the, uh, we'll have to do a little more uh, in-depth stuff uh, here soon. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be a blast. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll let you, get, let you get back to making excellent shows. And everything will be linked in our podcast as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. so thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Savages. Bye. All right, bye. If you are interested in joining us for a Savage Worlds board game cruise, we are going to be sailing out of New Orleans 
starting January 26th through February 2nd, 2020. The Savage Cruise is happening, guys. Um, we're pretty excited about it. The uh, We are, yeah, so first, in New Orleans, most amazing food. And you got to visit before it all gets flooded because it's currently, what, like 15 feet underwater? Right, going to spend, yeah, I think a lot of us are going to spend a couple days in New Orleans before before we set off, uh, set off for the Caribbean. Right, so the perfect place to play some Deadlands Noir. Yeah. Right? That's yes. And then because we wrote Buccaneer, we, there will be Buccaneer through Hell and High Water on the ship in the Caribbean, like the game about the Caribbean, the Pirates of the Caribbean, in the Caribbean, playing pirates. So that'll be an epic chance of, of playing with um, at least two. I'm not sure if Brett's going to come yet, but right. at least two of the authors of Buccaneer through Hell and High Water yes. and a contributor. Mr. So let me Hatchet. give you the rundown real fast. So uh, Sunday the 26th is when we're going to depart New Orleans. Uh, and then Monday and Tuesday, which is the 27th and 28th, is going to be gaming at sea. So we're going to spend our entire day gaming uh, you know, you're on a cruise ship. You don't want to do all those other things. You want to come and game. Yeah, uh, gaming, eating, and drinking. Wednesday, we're going to be in Montego Bay, Jamaica. Cannot wait. Uh, Thursday, we're going to be in Grand Cayman. Friday is Cozumel. So three stops in three days. Some more gaming at sea for Saturday. And then Sunday, we return. But not only is there gaming during the days at sea, after you're done doing all the cool, kick-ass, fun excursions and everything, you get back on the ship, you have dinner, there's gaming after dinner. Right. So in port, we're still going to be gaming after dinner. So it can be tons of time for gaming, but tons of time to go out, sit by the pool, do other things. I know uh, we don't expect everybody to game all the time. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to game all the time. I've never been on a cruise before, so I'm really excited because it's my first cruise ever. Uh, the prices, really, I was really pleasantly surprised because I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford a cruise. And uh, no, it's uh, it, it's pretty affordable. And uh, Kim, through Gamer Adventures, we'll make sure we get you that website here in a minute, uh, who is uh, kind of our liaison and helping us put this whole thing together, uh, can do a payment plan for you. Uh, so, you know, an interior, an interior berth is $565 per person. Yep, that's it. And that includes all your food, everything yeah. on the ship. You know, there's a few other things. You can prepay your tips. You know, so there's other things that you that 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 you're gonna do, but the the birth itself is is five sixty five, and then it it kind of goes up from there. Uh, it's on the flyer. It's on the Savage Worlds um, Facebook page. It's on the Rocky Mountain Savages Facebook page. There is a special Savage Cruise 2020 Facebook group. Yep. So you can come join that. That's when you have to. You do have to ask to join. Did we uh, have somebody ask to join that, or do they? Uh, I think they do ask to join They ask to join it, but we're not asking any questions. So if you want to get in there, join that. Um, and for a limited time right now, 25 bucks gets you in. Yeah, so here's the cool thing. So because we're a year out, so we're planning this um, proactively, the the sooner we claim our spots, the more uh, benefits the cruise ship gives us. More like, gaming space. More gaming space, more cool stuff. So basically every multiple of $25 that you put down – um, so it's just $25 minimum, and it'll save your space and get us uh, a tally towards how many people are going to be on the ship. And even if you don't come, even if you get it refunded, um, it still works for in our benefit now. So if you got 25 bucks and you're thinking about it. Um, yeah, Kim knows how to, how to play the cruise game. Right? That's, yeah, it's, uh, it's gaming. Oh, it totally She's not a gamer. a gamer, but she's gaming. Oh, exactly how it works. Like, yeah, basically, yeah, the, 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 the more we can front load – our reservation uh, system, the cooler the benefits we get, and uh, it just helps everybody. Yeah, so and, so take a look at that page. Take a look at, uh, and there's a link on all, all the pages to the Gamer Adventure where you can um, prepay. Um, I paid mine through PayPal. 
Um, I prepaid her, um, and I set up a payment plan with her. I'm doing all my tips ahead of time. So it's really going to be a great way to do it because you don't have to come up with all that money all at one time. You know, every month I'm going to spend 60 bucks. I eat out and spend double that in a, in a month, if not more, eating out and things. So, you know, I'm just going to curtail my eating out, curtail my buying of Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars yeah, for my new lands. obsession, Gaslands. And uh, I'm going to go on my first cruise ever with a bunch of gamers. And I got to say, I am really, really freaking excited about this cruise. Yeah, no, we already have over 20 people have already signed up, which is awesome. So we um, are definitely getting our, our tables um, reserved. And uh, so, yeah, it's happening. It's yeah, you'll hear, you'll hear more about it. Uh, we'll talk. We're going to talk about it, uh, you know, up until, uh, you know, we get ready to go. So you'll, you'll hear more about it. Uh, but, yeah, go to that. Uh, get to that website. Uh, what is that website, Chris? I don't. Well, so the, 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 the Kimberly Maida Smith is our coordinator and she can be reached at Gamer Adventures. Just G-A-M-E-R-A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S at Gmail. Uh, her phone number, if you want to give her a call to ask any other questions, is 916-233-9662. And um, so if you need a handicapped accessible suite, get in contact early because those uh, the best ones sell out fast. And um, we are going to be having a, uh, if we have a demand for it, a um, American Sign Language Gamer uh, to interpret games, if anybody uh, is deaf or hard of hearing and wants to have an ASL gamer, we will uh, be setting that up as well. Um, but let us know just so we can make sure we get that. Uh, we can't get it confirmed unless we have the demand. But if just one person out there signs up uh, and is deaf or hard of hearing and wants to be a gamer, um, we and will have that. And if you're from if you're from the Denver area, all of our Denver savages out there, there's a good chance that if we get enough people, we can do a party bus all from Denver to New Orleans. Nobody would have to drive. The bus would take us from Denver to New Orleans. We need to make this happen. Yes. So get out there. Get out to, I think it's uh, GamerAdventures.com, and then there's a link to the Savage Cruise. Go to the Savage Cruise Facebook page. Get everything. Get that information. Get that $25 sent in, and come join us for the Savage Cruise in 2020. Again, January 26th through February 2nd. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to the guys from Saving Throw. Uh, We really appreciate them coming on, helping us out, uh, doing an interview with us. If you guys would like to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at Uproar at SavageCast.com. Ask us questions. Give us show ideas. We're on Facebook, SavageCast. If you want to go and uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes, go there. Leave us a review. Uh, We'd love to have a review so people can find us. And uh, I think that's it for Episode 31. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll see you for Episode 32. Savages! Savages!